0: The Titan submersible accident that took the lives of five people recently has generated lots of interest and reactions that give us a mirror on how humans react to things, but also whether emerging technology, innovation and reaching for the stars is worth it. On this episode of Today in Tech, we're going to discuss whether endeavors like this will move humanity forward or backwards. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Joining me to discuss a bunch of the issues that came out of this uh, tragedy are Justin Bean. He is the author of the book What Could Go Right, uh, along with uh, technology analyst Jack Gold, who covers many different emerging technology companies and topics. Both of you guys have been on the show before, so welcome back.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us back.
0: Uh, okay. So th- again, in it, this is this is a little bit of a different topic than what we normally cover on the show, but... Um, as I was looking at how the event was playing out uh, over the over the last week, I was really struck by how different people's reactions were to this news. And so, this is uh, really a, just a starting question for for Justin. You know, we we talked before on the show about whether humanity is is working towards a positive outcome or a negative outcome. And we saw, and I saw a lot of this. There was the good in rescuers that were trying to find these people, uh, but then we, there was also a lot of darkness. There were some internet memes that came out and some really dark stuff, and there was this news uh, outlet that was putting a countdown clock on the oxygen i'm sure we we could find a lot more examples of how things got really dark and i'm wondering if that's just is that just the nature of humanity with the good and the bad or is it because of this sort of internet instant 24 7 meme culture that we sort of now live in so what was some of your reactions that you had you know given the the nature of the book that you wrote
1: yeah, I mean, first of all, it, it's just an incredible tragedy for the the people that were lost and the the families um, of those people, and <clears throat> and it's. I was also really interested by the the different reactions that mm-hmm. people had. Um, you know, I titled the book "What Could Go Right," not what will go right, and I, I think that that's a really intentional uh, statement, right? Because this is our choice, and so given the ubiquity of information that we all have today. You know, all of this information and the ability to share how we're reacting to things and how we think about things is not only giving more amplification to the emotions that we feel and the parts of ourselves that are, you know, that are reacting to this, um, but it's also on a, a global stage and a public stage. And so you've got, you know, these sort of I'd call them like teenage rebellious elements that are sort of morbidly uh, fascinated with it or right. uh, making some jokes around the tragedy and then you've got you know the people who are out there helping and are just you know praying for the the lives of these people and and asking the questions around you know should this should this have happened uh, you know should there have been some kind of regulation right should uh, this company have been allowed to uh, have people out given the the new type of sub and the uh, sort of new designs and carbon fiber materials? Yeah. And it's an open question, open some really really good questions. But I think people have been morbidly fascinated with things like this for a very long time and it's it's a part of who we are, right? It's and it's sensationalized by all of the the media that we've had forever. Social media is just a new way of of doing that. So, um fortunately or unfortunately, it's it's a part of who we are. And so having the conversation in the public and conversations like this, I think mm-hmm. allow us to process that and think about what part of us is being expressed and what part of us do we really want to Um, tap into because it's, you know, in one way, it's, uh, it's facing our own mortality when we see the mortality of others. And we have a very strong primordial reaction to that. Yeah. Uh, and some people respond with humor, some respond with empathy, and we all have a mix of all of the above.
0: Yeah, as I was thinking about this, I started thinking about sort of other news events and news tragedies. And, you know, I, I go back a few decades and uh, we were making, you know, I, I we were hearing jokes uh, after the space shuttle accident, the, the Challenger accident, for example. And um, I was in college at the time, and, and but we didn't have sort of that 24-7 internet. So it was more of just sort of jokes that were tasteless, you know, Uh, spread amongst other people, and that's how sort of um, the internet worked back then. It was still just face-to-face people telling jokes or talking about stuff like that so i i just feel like it's so instant and so in your face now and again this this happened within days and minutes of of sort of the news coming out so um that that sort of bothered me a little bit i was like you know we we can do better but it but it could just be that i'm older and i'm more more uh empathetic now than i probably was when i was a uh a teenager growing up back then so jack how did Uh, how did you how did you you know did you find this as well did you see a lot of these reactions and 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 you know kind of shake your head or like what what did you think about the response that that people were having
2: yeah i think there are a few things going on here so uh i mean i fully agree with 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 justin's analysis yeah some of it is just immaturity some of it is just people being children right but some of it is also the fact that because of all the social media you know you, you you just mentioned keith about um when when the the shuttle disaster came out and there were jokes about it it was kind of on a personal level right it was one-on-one you know guys and gals walking down the hall into your office and telling a off color joke the problem that we have now with with social media is that it's uh, impersonal right it is now you're anonymous you can sit on on twitter or or your instagram or you know pick your favorite doesn't really matter right and and say anything you want, uh, outrageous or nasty or, you know, bigoted or whatever you want it to be. And, 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 and you're sitting in your living room or your den or your basement or wherever it happens to be, and no one knows who you are. It's not like I'm walking into your office and calling you a name, right? Right. And so a big part of the problem from the technology perspective with this is that we've gotten so impersonal that there there's no... Um, I, I guess there's no recourse. There's no, or there's no shame, really, anymore because people aren't seeing your face react right, right. to what, what's going on. And there's no filter. As and there's you know, know no filter either, different.
0: right? Yeah, there's no filter going on. Um, yeah, Justin, did you cover sort of a, a lot of the social me- media issues in your book in terms of getting to that future? Was social media part of that or do you think that things need to, to be made better for social media? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's two trends that are kind of playing into this, right? And and I think Jack's right, that the anonymity has provided the ability for people to be open and honest, but it also allows the darker sides to come out um, because of the lack of accountability. And then add to that, that artificial intelligence algorithms are funneling more and more of this type of information to you. And so your, you know, digital tribe, is also reinforcing the behavior that you're displaying, and so if you're uh, if you're talking about empathy and you're clicking on empathetic posts, you're going to receive more empathetic uh, messages. Mm-hmm. But if you're, you know, going down the the darker path and the sort of um, the elements of making fun of this and um, all of that, you're going to get more of those sort of dark uh, dark posts. And so I think that's that's a big issue, and we saw how that um, affected our society in 2016 and across the board with a lot of the election interference and, and those types of things. So right. there's a very dark side to it. Yeah. I think what's starting to happen though is that some of that accountability uh, is starting to happen and we're recognizing the need for the return of accountability and the return of personalization of social media and that it's harder and harder to sign up with like a burner account uh, and and be completely anonymous. Mm-hmm. Things are linked back to Facebook or LinkedIn. And this is one thing I did cover in the book for companies was that, you know, we've had a a big discussion recently about woke culture, you know, coming after companies and initiatives. And there's, again, there's a dark side to that where it can be over the top and it can be uh, unreasonable, but uh, it's also having a really positive effect that companies know that anything they do and say can be exposed on social media in an instant. And all of the trust that they've built for their brand over decades, uh, or even centuries in some cases can evaporate in an instant and, and a lot can recover. But, you know, these days, especially when information is eternal, essentially, uh, you know, it's harder and harder to recover from that. So that is pushing executives and pushing companies to move towards more sustainable, uh, and more inclusive. actual actions because we get called out for greenwashing and everything else too.
0: Yeah. One of the things that, that, that came out of this that I also thought was interesting, and I didn't know exactly how to word this, but, um, the details of the event in terms of, uh, you know, at first it was, oh, there's a lot of wealthy, you know, sort of passengers on this thing. It was, you know, $250,000 and, and sort of the, the bullet list of, of what was going on, i think allowed for more sort of negative kind of attitudes um because you know i would hear people go oh well it's just a bunch of billionaires and they did they deserve it or or, you know things like that and i was wondering well would our reactions have been different if this was a different scenario like okay let's say it was a research vessel and it included a bunch of school kids on a field trip type of a thing now I, i can't imagine a bunch of kids on a field trip getting into this sub after you learn about all of the details that went into the sub. But does the nature of sort of the event sort of lean one way or the other? Or is that just me just being, you know, weird about what's going on in my head? (laughs) Justin, anyone? Go ahead, Jack. I'm sorry,
1: Justin.
2: Yeah, Jack, go ahead. I I think, Keith, I think you're right on. I mean, remember, it wasn't that long ago uh, where there were, I don't remember what, 20 kids trapped in a cave and they couldn't get out because the water had backed up yep and it was really uh i think at least a very different scenario because you could associate with those poor kids not being able to get out where i remember was it chile or yep. somewhere i think it in was South chile, America, peru yeah right. one of those yeah peru yeah um and it it seemed to be very different right we were focused on it it was on the news all the time um i didn't see a lot of negative stuff on it i'm I'm sure there was okay just because there are jerks out there right right um and and we're enabling them but uh it it was just a, a kind of a different scenario because you could personally associate with those folks it's hard to personally associate associate with billionaires. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I'm not there yet, right? And and I'm sure there are, there are other people that are, but it, it's, it's just a little different focus. So I think that's part of the issue. I mean, this goes back years. I remember, uh, I can't remember the exact timing. It was somewhere in the 40s or 30s where there was a, a kid in a well that got trapped in a well. And, and, and for about 48 hours, the entire country was sitting in front of the radio listening to see whether or not this kid would get out alive or not right there was, Sadly, and
0: there was one in the 80s where this little baby fell down a well too and I remember that rescue yep. effort that was that was always yep. so yeah but I don't think that really sh- it doesn't necessarily give us permission to sort of lean dark in things like that I, I, I would hope that enough people would realize it doesn't really matter who's in the this, this situation we should be we should we should choose empathy first it feels like if, if we're gonna if we're gonna get better as, as, as humanity right
2: but then no one reads it. If yeah. I did that Keith, no one would you know, it's, it's the outrageous tweets as Justin said that get amplified, right? And and if, and if what I'm looking for is numbers, you know, people reading my stuff, yep. then I can't be empathetic cuz no one will read it.
0: That's true. That's true. Like we we tend to get yeah. clickbaity sometimes on our headlines. Justin, you got yeah. you got a, a thought on this?
1: Yeah, I think there's <clears throat> you know, this kind of plays to a, a larger trend in society, right? That there is this really strong tension between the classes. Uh, that's going on. And it's almost like we're in sort of a new gilded age, right? Where most of us feel like we're part of the underclass. And then there's this, you know, billionaire class out gallivanting and building, Mm -hmm. you know, companies to get into space. And I think for, you know, for good uh, outcomes, but um, there's a difference in the reasons these people went down, right? So the the miners in Chile were trying to survive and work jobs so that they could support their families. Right. Right. And that that was to that was to survive and, and provide, and and that's very different from you know paying a quarter million dollars to um, tour uh, a grave site, essentially. Uh, and so that doesn't make it okay, but I think it's tapping into resentment that already exists, especially when times are really tough for people, and they see you know rents are so high, inflation is crazy, and then there's people out spending you know many times their annual income. On you know essentially tourism, yeah, and we're always going to have some kind of inequality. But I think if people's basic needs in terms of housing and healthcare and uh, you know food access and education and all the things that you know make people not stressing constantly about their own survival, then there I think would be less of this resentment of the upper classes and more maybe focus on what those uh, at least the creative upper class is doing for society. There's a lot of great things that. You know, even the the robber barons had done for society, right? Like Carnegie donated so much money and and helped shape education moving forward. And so, right, um, I think by addressing some of those underlying insecurities and in the foundation of our society, it, it'll lead to more of that empathy, and it, it allows us to have a more of that human connection. And I think that's what's starting to kind of separate it, and then the amplification through social media.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. I want to kind of switch gears on this just a little bit. Um, the other thing that struck me in terms of the, the news around the company that uh, was, was uh, responsible for the, for building the sub was um, called OceanGate, And I was watching a lot of the different interviews that the CEO had, had done. Uh, he did, he did a couple of interviews with uh, David Pogue from CBS um, and, and, and various other uh, sources. And what I s- he he was always comparing himself to sort of Elon Musk, SpaceX. He was always talking about um, other outside the box companies and. Uh, my question would be for other entrepreneurs, do you think that they feel like that they have to act this way that like, you know, this is now in order to become successful or to get the publicity, you sort of have to either cut corners or, uh, think outside the box. I don't know. I, I was a little disturbed by like the fact that he was able to sort of do this without thinking about the, you know, the possibility of tragedy. And, and, you know, so where, where does a tech company learn from this if, if you are sort of in that startup space? Jack, because you, you, you cover a lot of, of innovative companies. Do you get the sense that the entrepreneurs are like this guy or are they a little bit more cautious with with their, their approach?
2: I think most entrepreneurs today are like this guy, but with, with a difference, right? So if, if I'm building a, a, a software company and I put some code out there um, that isn't good for whatever reason, you know, what's the worst case scenario? I'm probably going to, you know, mess up your desktop or maybe I'm going to have an accounting error at your company uh, or something along those lines. Whereas with this kind of company, and it's it's not just this company, a lot of companies, SpaceX is another great example, or, or, you know, Tesla or Rivian, or, you know, pick a a lot of different companies, even the AI companies. They become, most entrepreneurs have become much less risk averse But there's a difference in risks, right? The software company risk is very different than what happened with the sub. You know, if I screw up the sub and it implodes, uh, you know, there are dead people on board. If I screw up the software, okay, you get mad at me and maybe you sue me, but it's, you know, it's, it's not going to hurt people. The same is true with AI. If you're relying on AI to do your man, run your machine tools. Right. And make sure that I'm not sticking my hand in the wrong place. What if that AI screws up? I lose my hand. So it's not just that it's about risk being a risk adverse or that, that the entrepreneurs are more risky. They are more risky because everyone wants to get the market first with a new idea. Right. But you also are finding people, I think, that have gotten so accustomed. To being in a safe society that they think, you know, this stuff is never going to happen to me. You know, airplanes don't crash anymore. Mm-hmm. Trains, I shouldn't say trains don't derail because they do, but, but, you know, generally speaking, they're pretty safe. Cars are pretty safe. And I think people have just gotten to the notion that I don't have to be as safe. For, I don't have to worry about this anymore.
0: Yeah, I, I think there was a quote that, that he was, in one of the interviews, he was like, well, you know, there's risk in getting out of the bed every morning. And he, he was trying to to explain to the reporter that there's risk in everything. And we've all heard that, like, you know, you could go out and get hit by a bus tomorrow. But But I think what he was failing to realize is like, well... You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of bed and I'm gonna go to work tomorrow and I'm gonna you know have lunch and all this other things. But I'm not gonna get into a sub at and go visit the Titanic at at 13,000 feet below sea level. Um, I I feel like he was a little bit more flippant in his answers about safety than he probably realized. And so and my my concern is that entrepreneurs may start to look at this guy and go, well, this is how we need to get our company sort of in front of the pack or so that we're, that, you know, and that, that that's a little concerning. Justin, do you have some thoughts on this
1: too? Yeah, and you know, entrepreneurship is inherently risky and the, the risk takers are generally the people that become entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And granted, risks are very different across the board. Right. Right. Um, but I think what, it, this goes right in line with American culture, right? Like it's, we came into, or, you know, the Europeans came to, uh, a new continent, expanded out. It was all about manifest destiny and um, taking risk. And, you know, we still use the moniker cowboy for this type of person. Um, and so it's, it's a thread that continues through. Um, but I think smart companies will realize and smart entrepreneurs will realize that there there is a limit, right? If they look at these cases of like Uber, Uber was, you know, a great example of a company that was applauded for its risk taking. Yep. Until it wasn't. Right. And so it it had a huge spike and then kind of burned out. And people realized, okay, those that risk and innovation was coming at the cost of uh, you know, autonomous vehicles that killed a woman, right, right. It right. was a cultural expression of technology, of a risk-taking culture that didn't prioritize human beings. and they had to shut that whole thing down afterwards. It was too risky, right, right. Also with the labor practices and the chauvinism. And now, right? I, I was just in San Francisco a couple weeks ago. And now Cruise, which was one of the most conservative companies in the autonomous vehicle space, right? It, you know, people describe riding in an autonomous cruise, like uh, riding with uh, your grandma, right? Every time a bag crosses the street, <laughs> you know, know. slams on the brakes and drives too slow. And then you drive in an Uber and it's going, you know, s- the same speed you would take on the freeway, yeah. right? Um, and taking way less risk. So it was a cultural, is a technology that was expressing itself through the, the culture of the companies. And so smart entrepreneurs, I think, will realize that in the short term, yes, you might be able to get ahead a little bit through taking these risky behaviors. But in the longer term, something substantial is going to go wrong. It's going to damage your brand. It's going to damage your business. And in the long term, it really does pay to innovate and take some risks, but take risks in places that aren't going to endanger people's lives.
0: Right. Right, and and again, we you know we we keep talking about like some of these companies aren't like you know going to the bottom of the ocean, Um, but we are you you know you mentioned autonomous vehicles, and there are uh, companies that are developing urban air mobility drones that are going to be flying people from from city to city. I think the FAA just approved uh, a special thing for a flying car company. Um, I I would hope, I would really hope that everybody and those companies are not trying to quote unquote cut corners or think outside the box so much that. Like they don't understand the basic value of, of the humans they're going to have in them. Um, but that, you know, sort of that attitude did concern me. I mean, we've, you know, and again, we've got NASA that's about to go back to the moon on some missions, and we've got, and they're, they're doing Mars missions as well. It's, I don't know. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just this. I, I don't like the fact that he was sort of, you know, idolized or that he becomes sort of hero worship for, for doing this.
2: Well, so I, I Justin, I agree with everything you' say <laughs> as you said with one exception. The problem right now is that companies are rewarded for taking excessive risk. If you look at how companies get funded, it's usually the companies that that come up with these you know big schemes, these these great ideas. Um, it's, you know, it's Theranos. How much money did Theranos gain, right? right. Yep. And that's a big part of the problem. There's no real penalty other than, yeah, maybe your stock goes down, but by then you've cashed out and you're, you know, you're a billionaire. Um, and I think that's a big part of the problem. It's a little different with, with uh, NASA, for instance. Keith, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're right that it's a high risk, but but if you look at what those guys do, they spend years, years testing out this stuff. right. You know, no company would get funded, Uh, an entrepreneur would never get funded if if you told somebody it would take me six years or seven years to make this stuff work. So I think that's part of the equation here. We have to be a little bit careful in the way we look at funding these new companies because they're they're incented to get things into market fast and they're going to cut corners just because they have to get there.
0: And, and again, that, this leads me to another technology that we've been talking about a lot on this show, and that's AI and generative AI in particular. Uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of funding going towards AI companies. Um, and there, if, if I was one of these companies, if I was working at one of these companies, or if I was the CEO of one of these companies, I might go like, you know what, maybe we can cut some corners in terms of the language models that we're using or the responses that we're given, or we're not going to put guardrails on this. Um, I, I could see this sort of going down a, a path similar. Similar to sort of the ocean gate thing, but with AI. And, and my second question to that would be, uh, we're getting a lot of warnings from uh, AI scientists that are talking about the possibility of AI taking over the world and all this other stuff. Am I just ignoring these warnings in the similar way that other people were ignoring warnings around this ocean gate sub? Justin, it's a lot to unpack there. I don't know if you want to take on one or two of the questions. Yeah, no,
1: AI, is a it's a tough and complex one, right? Yeah. Because if we, it, and it's also a geostrategic strategy priority, right? And so let's say the U.S. takes a very conservative approach and, you know, puts gates around everything and and has to approve, creates an AI uh, FDA for the AI uh, models, right? And and has to go through all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, China just bounds ahead. And, um, you know, the, the next century is a Chinese century and it, it a lot of places look like a surveillance state. Um, I don't think that's in line with uh, American values. And I love China, it's a great place, but there are some issues with the, the politics there that I have. Um, and so it's it's not an easy answer, right? There's, I, I think it's about looking at the, the level of risk for the type of AI being used, what does it have access to and what can it affect? Um, And then explainability uh, and uh, AI ethics are, are, you know, a huge burgeoning field that we need to expand ever faster. But it's tough. This, this could be one that, you know, so far technology has been slightly ahead of human culture. Right. And we've been able to adapt just fast enough to kind of keep up with technology but artificial intelligence I think is something that could just go way beyond us and so are we able to build in those guardrails and those uh, you know uh, Isaac Asimov three rules for AI yeah. and is that going to work? I, I, probably not. It's probably going to be a lot more complex. I, I'm just wondering though if the warnings that we're getting
0: right now if if because I'm so excited about a technology that I that part of my brain sort of shuts out the warnings um, maybe that was a similar sort of analogy for this company where we, they did have people that were warning them about the possibility of, of not, you know, like, why aren't you getting this sub um, reviewed by an independent party? And, and maybe carbon fiber wasn't the proper sort of material to use when all of these other submarine companies were using titanium and, and some other materials. Um, so, yeah, I, I, just, I just think that... Um, I, I, I maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just worried about AI in a similar way of of the of the warnings that I should pay more attention to these warnings. Jack, you got any thoughts I'm on, on that the other end? side? Yeah. Or you go ahead. Go just ahead, just on the other
1: side of it, I think AI is going to be incredibly uh, positive. Right. Right. Even if ninety nine point nine percent of AI uses create incredible abundance, they help us reach more sustainability. They're going to help us connect better. Each person will have a whole team of people that are. Digital interns and managers that can go out and and create for them. I mean that creates incredible abundance like we've never seen before. Um, and so there's something to be said too that we need to pay attention to that. That this isn't just like a fun technology. That hey, we should we should maybe create it because it's fun. But hey, it might collapse the entire society. But you know we're really looking at uh, yeah, yeah two different you know, two different extremes. It's either, it's,
0: yeah, it's either fun or or, or terrifying. And then not, not a lot of people are sort of focused on the middle part. Jack, what like I, I know you. And I've talked about AI before as well.
2: I was just going to say um, to add to that, what technology isn't? I mean, remember when we invented nuclear technology, why did that come about? Because we were in the middle of a war. And and clearly uh, uh, atom bombs are terrible, but there's a lot of stuff in the nuclear science that mm-hmm. came out of that that is really beneficial to society. Cancer treatments. right? You know, you could argue about nuclear power, but, but there's stuff there. So All technologies like that. I remember when I was a kid. You know, people would say if you watch too much TV, it was going to rot your brain. Right? (laughs) TVs are terrible things. So, there's there's all kinds of stuff around that. But what I would say around AI is that uh, you know people don't realize that you're already using AI in, in our daily lives. Yeah. If you've got a smartphone, there's AI built into that thing. It's soon going to be built into your PC. Your bank is using AI um, to to make sure that your funds stay safe and and that they aren't they aren't getting hacked. Um, there, there's just all kinds of stuff that's already been in use. I think the difference now is that uh, that users or people are now seeing things like you know Chat GPT garnish all these headlines. Uh, many of which are ridiculous, but okay. Um, that it, and and they're 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 scared because they don't understand it. If you don't understand a technology, it's really easy to be scared of it, right? Yeah, yeah. That's not to say that we shouldn't have safeguards. Um, look, how many people died in airplane crashes in the 1910s and 1920s? Yeah. Right. How many die today? So it, it, I think it, it it's an evolution. I think we get smart about technologies as we use them. And we get much, much better at figuring out how to make them safe. And and yes, we should be cautious about AI for sure, but there are so many potential benefits coming, you know, in diseases, uh, uh, discovering diseases, and, and things of that nature that we've got to we've got to use it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wanted to so there's another question I had about sort of the the entrepreneur uh, and these innovative companies that come out, and a lot of the leaders of these companies take on sort of. A, a, a tech evangelist sort of persona. Uh, they want to be the next Steve Jobs. They want to be the next Elon Musk. And so uh, my question around this would be, if you were sort of an employee at one of these companies um, and you, you know, you, you, you agreed with the vision maybe, or you agreed with sort of the purpose of the company and, um, how is is there a fine line, be sort of, between the genius and insanity of sort of a tech leader in this space? Like, as a, as a, as an employee of these of this company, do you have a responsibility to like sort of raise your hand and go, "Uh, oh, wait a second this this you know maybe we shouldn't use a game controller to control the sub, or maybe we shouldn't you know." duct tape things on the walls of this. And it, it didn't feel like there was enough of that at OceanGate. Maybe there was. And, and again, there were some reports of some some people that were raising some red flags. Um, but, it, you know, thinking about this at other companies, maybe with similar risks, but maybe not with similar risks. Like, do they have a responsibility for this as well? Justin?
1: Yeah, I think part of this is about organizational design, mm-hmm. right? And as we move towards flatter organizations... Where there's more ownership in the company, like we see at a lot of startups, right? That a lot of employees actually have some ownership. Um, that there can be more pushback, and when there's equity, not just um, diversity and having all perspectives at the table, which is yeah. really important, but also equity and the ability to have a culture where people can speak up and can have influence, and it's not just a you know a one man autocracy. Um, or, you know, corporate feudalism or something like that, right? Then that leads to we have these natural behavioral mechanisms built into our instincts. And you can see it with chimpanzees, right? They actually don't tolerate um, you know, dominant violent males for very long. They actually will group up, attack them, sometimes murder them, and then get back to us sort of uh, and I'm not advocating that. I think it's well, horrible. That, that but sounds like a, an HBO series here soon. and there. <laughs> What I'm saying is, it's built into our instinctual DNA, yeah. right? That we are group animals that want the overall group to succeed. And when you know some individuals come out and try to dominate and take over and do things that are too dangerous, we respond to that by trying to you know balance the scales a bit. And so I think power through technology. Technology has shifted power into a more concentrated area for a long time, and now we're finally starting to see technology enable more distributed power. And distributed collaboration, so that we need less hierarchical models yeah. to manage things, and through that, with checks and balances, can lead to more responsible development.
0: Yeah. You, well, Jack, do you see a lot of entrepreneurs that have that sort of like it's my way or the highway type attitude these days, or do you feel like it is more collaborative and that people can sort of say uh, no, you're not, you're not making a right decision, and not have to be fearful of losing their job? Like, what do you well, hear? See what do you both. hear with a lot I mean, of companies? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Sorry, I, I see both. I mean, look. Elon Musk is a great example of the former right it's my way or the highway uh-huh. you know you do it my way or you, you you won't have a job tomorrow right um and and you know i guess that works for a while but it doesn't work long term because what you end up doing is the best of your of your best leave mm-hmm. because they can and then you end up with the um you know the 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 bottom 30% or 40% or whatever the number is that are okay they're employees but they're not doing the best job um, and so, but with a lot of entrepreneurs, it's about getting stuff out and getting it out quickly and they know that they have to get good people on board and pay them uh, and make sure that they're happy or they're not going to stay. I mean, the, you know, the early days of Google, not just Google, but Microsoft and many other companies was, how do I make my employees really happy? How do I make sure they stay on board and they work their butts off, right? You know, free pizza, big deal, right? It's not its not that expensive, you want to take a nap in the afternoon? That's great. You're going to be here till nine o'clock at night anyway. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, right. uh, you know, you, you don't have time to go out and get a haircut. That's okay. We'll get a barber in here to, to you know, to help. Uh, those are all investments uh, that are made to keep the best employees you can and keep them happy. Uh, and otherwise, you end up with products that are, that are inferior. You know, we just had a discussion about AI. Uh, and, and whether it's good or bad and, and, and whether things are getting the market too fast. Yeah. I don't know if you've been noticing and I apologize for this. I have an automated camera here that has an AI chip <laughs> in it and it's been shifting me back and forth. Um, and and I am i haven't moved. I have <laughs> noticed that, have, Yeah, I have noticed that. So, I didn't want
0: to say anything though to you. It's
2: a great example of, of getting products to market too soon. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. See, fixed that.
0: Look at that, live live example of our analogies that we're coming up with. Um, the other analogy I thought of was always the Captain Kirk from the original Star Trek and then Captain Picard from The Next Generation. In terms of how they made decisions, it felt like Kirk was the cowboy. He was the, this is the only way I'm going to do it. And Picard was always, you'd have a meeting in a conference room uh, discussing all the options and then they would figure out what decision to make based on you know knowledge and expertise. D- I, you know, our why don't, why don't we sort of, you know, um, publicize those types of companies more. And, and again, I know the answer to that, but go ahead, Justin, like, what, like, are you seeing, are you seeing the sort of these collaborative companies that, that are very successful and that we just don't know about them?
1: Yeah, I think it, it hits a different emotional tone. And, and like we've been saying, when you get the sensationalism and the anger and the rage out there and the outrage, That hits really quickly and then people get kind of numb to it and you Mm -hmm. have to ratchet it up so much faster. But I think we all respond, that that same um, uh, acclimation doesn't really occur with compassion and with empathy, right? We saw the story of the the CEO who uh, at a small startup started paying all of his employees the same wage, right? And he took the same, it was like 60K a year, and you know, some people were making like fifteen. He was making like two hundred something or whatever. And then he just said, "You know what? Everyone's going to make at least sixty k, and I'm going to take the same." Right. Yeah. And that story, you know, was an outpouring of hope to a lot of people. And a lot of, "Hey, maybe we should rethink the way that we do things." And the CEO role is more of a collaborator in these new organizations and less of a dictator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think some of those stories, and like we said, with some of the rescues that have occurred, people's you know hearts pour out. And people really want to help. It, there's this, you know, the the classic quote of when there are disasters, look for the helpers, right? I mean, people come out of the woodwork to help each other, and the emotion, the emotional impact of that for the helpers, the people being helped, and the people watching that is incredibly positive and really hard to build calluses against. And and so I think with more amplification of that, uh, you know, you're still going to get a lot of clicks and you're going to yeah. get a lot of shares. But yeah, how do we balance it with the outrage?
0: Yeah, Jack. Anything else to add on that?
2: Yeah, I, I think again, uh, the companies that are are the, the most successful, generally speaking, are the ones that are best to their employees, because you're now giving your employees an incentive to do their best. You know, whether it's pay, whether it's other stuff, whether it's you know giving them time off to take care of their kids, uh, you know, paternity leave, whatever it happens to be those are the folks that are going to be most dedicated to your success. And if you're somebody like, a, I'll use it again, Elon Musk, who says my way or the highway, ultimately what happens is you tend to tick off people and they leave.
1: And yeah, you don't yeah.
2: want your good people to leave because those are the ones that, that, that have the, the easiest exit.
1: I, and, and I think you, yeah. Go ahead, it Justin. might be successful, if, if I just respond to that yeah. real quick, it might be a necessary stage, right, where in the beginning of a company and you're an entrepreneur, you've got a vision, you know where it needs to go, it might be okay to run things pretty centralized for a bit. Of course, you want you know a board of advisors and you know a, a board of rivals that can help you with your thinking, but to start on the path to that achieving that vision, as long as everyone involved is aware of their safety risks if there are any and aware of the risks of what they're doing, maybe that's not such a bad thing, and there's a place for that personality and there's a place for that type of behavior. But yeah, once it gets to riskier levels of uh, execution and areas of involvement and larger numbers of people, it much more needs to become more collaborative and kind and um, yeah, introduce the the shared vision of the the people of the company and perhaps shared ownership. Yeah, maybe I- you Yeah, know, I
2: think I'd modify that just slightly. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Go ahead, Jack. Go ahead, Jack. Uh, Justin. And, and that is that it's all well and good to have a vision because that's what Musk had, right? That's how he made his company. But if you're a real, true leader, you should be giving that vision to all your people. It shouldn't yeah. just be your vision. Yeah, They should be on board with that vision because that's the only way you're going to succeed long term.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. I, I think the, the biggest example I could think of just while we were talking about this would probably be Apple because, again, Apple, you had that sort of Steve Jobs vision. Yeah. and And even though Tim Cook took over as CEO, it does feel like a lot of the decisions that they make are a lot more collaborative perhaps than, than they were under, under Steve jobs. And you sort of see that during the keynote presentations where cook will bring out a lot of different people to talk about the products rather than just him standing up there and going, hey, here's this, here's this, here's this. So, um, there are some other companies that are out there that like that, but I think I agree that maybe at first you do need to have that, that sort of visionary leader, at least to start with, um, uh, that's a that's a that's a great op, that's a great uh, observation. Um, one of the things I like to do w- with a lot of the guests is to um, give them an uh, anecdotal or a uh, uh, what's the word? It's um, a what if scenario. So, what if you were emperor of the universe? And I'm going to think of the word during this. But so, Justin, you're emperor of the universe. What takeaway lessons do you tell? the planet of of you know like what what should they take away from this t- titan sub accident
1: um
0: rhetorical okay, oh universe. rhetorical
1: question i just thought of the word rhetorical oh, okay i thought maybe hypothetical we're going to <laughs> yeah, no, that okay. rhetorical um, question
0: your emperor of the universe what takeaway message do you have for sort of humanity at this point based on that
1: incident oh man um yeah let's let's empathy and love is the answer. I okay. think is the, the core there. Yep. And how, how do you operationalize that? And how do you execute in a way that's in line with that, that moves you forward? So, you know, learning from these disasters and learning from the way people react to it, Um. you know, what can I do as an individual that will help focus in the right direction to out-innovate, out-create, out-empathize, out-communicate those who are kind of on the other side of the equation and just like, you know, going, going cowboy and rogue and doing things dangerously and doing things unethically. Um, it's, it's hard work. You know, it, it takes all of the good people to stand up and work hard to outcreate and and um, outpace those who are not so great. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the same thing of all that's necessary for evil to succeed is for good people to do nothing.
0: Okay, Jack, do you have any any thoughts? You're now emperor of the universe. Um, How do you sort of provide some lessons from this?
2: Yeah, um, I I think one of the things that people need to continuously assess and reassess, especially people that are in business, is risk-reward, right? Uh, Yes, you need to take risks if you're in a business, if you wanna succeed, pretty much, Everything is risky. Getting married is risky. Having kids is risky. Buying a house is risky. I mean, we can go down the path. Having a job is risky. Yeah, but there's rewards involved, um, and uh, you know, you don't take too much risk. You don't buy a three million dollar house if you're making fifty thousand dollars a year. You know, that risk is too high, right? So there, are, there are just things that we need to assess, and and the problem is that in the system that we we currently have the entrepreneurial system that we have, and, and and don't get me wrong, the entrepreneurial system is fantastic. We've gotten some um, incredible things out of it. Right. We often uh, don't have the right risk reward ratios, and that's something that should be monitored more often. People need to, to look at that. I don't know if legislation is the right uh, way to go. I don't know if you just need better you know, boards uh, advising you or whatever but again my example earlier it's one thing to screw up on some software that you know maybe you're doing word processing with it's another to build an autonomous vehicle that crashes or, right. or, or you know the sub unfortunately that breaks up and yeah. i think that's that's the message that has gotten diluted over the years i think that's the one i would i would home in on
0: all right. Uh, th- guys, again, thank you for being on the show and talking about this. Uh, I-, I think conversations like this where we kind of take a-, a bigger view of sort of where we go forward uh, could be a good thing. I'm hoping that a lot of people can watch this and, and uh, really have these conversations at their own companies. I think that's, that's why I'm here doing what I do. So th- thanks again, guys, for being on the show.
2: Thank
1: you. Thanks so much for bringing us together.
0: All right. That's all the time we have for today's episode. Be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, add any comments that you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.